Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 117th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the incredibly successful British author Jackie Collins, who wrote 32 novels, all of which appeared on the New York Times bestsellers list, sold more than 500 million copies altogether, and have been translated into 40 languages. Jackie sadly died in 2015 at the age of 77. This interview took place in 1990 at the fabulous Beverly Hills home she shared with her second husband Oscar Lerman and their daughters Tiffany and Rory. Jackie was then writing and co-producing the television miniseries Lucky Chances, which combined her first two novels featuring her best-known character Lucky Santangelo. Well, it's two of my books. It's Chances and Lucky, and they were bought by the network sort of a long while ago. They got a couple of writers to work on them. They couldn't quite get it. You know, they they fired this very fine writer, actually, who shall be nameless, who said when he was fired, well, I think this is what Jackie Collins intended to write. And so then it kind of went into sort of limbo hell. And then some bright executive said, wait a minute, about a year later, let's get Jackie. Let's see if she'll write it herself. So they approached me about it, and I I initially wasn't too enthusiastic, because to take two books that are each 600 pages, and then, you know, get them down to a six-hour script, which is 300 pages, so you've got to take from 1,200 pages, 300 pages, is quite difficult. But then I thought, why not? I mean, I can do it if I want to do it. I think I'll give it a a buzz. Writers are often very sensitive about their own material, aren't they? It's very difficult to condense something. Yeah, but I'm lucky enough to, to be a collaborative writer when it comes to the material going to the screen. So I've been told. Because if I was in love with all the characters and everything that happened, I would be having screaming hysterics. Mm. I mean, I said to them, I said, really, this could be a weekly series and we could do, you know, chances for a year and then lucky for a year. We've got more than enough material. And we might end up doing that now. We might go back and do it from the beginning. So I said, OK, I'll do it. But if I do it, I've got to produce. So they said, well, you've never produced. And I said, yeah, I sort of produced stuff in England and I never got the credit, but I did produce it. Negotiations went on for like six months and we finally said, OK. So now I had the clout that every writer wants, which is to be able to produce, because if you're just the writer, it's, oh, thank you for the script, it's wonderful, goodbye, don't come to the set. So now I wrote it. I wrote it in three months, the whole six weeks. And then we sat down and started to cast, which was fascinating, because I, they, they wanted to give me stars, and I said, we don't want stars. The book is going to be the star. You know, my books sell very well all over the world, and let's go for it, because I want a hot young cast. I want a great-looking cast. I don't want these old chestnuts that have been in every miniseries that's ever been made. So they got a little uptight about that, and we had our fights, but I won. And I said, okay, then this is the cast we're going to have. And, and you have to check everything with the network when you're working with the network. So I would want somebody, and then I would have to run them by the network. So these poor actors were coming back like four times and then being taken by the network. And I think it, that's finally when the network took me seriously as a producer, because it was raining like this when we were doing the casting, and I would trace across from one building right across the whole thing to the other building, trailing actors who I had to show to the network, dripping wet, you know, and they suddenly realized they were not going to get rid of me in a hurry. And then we we started to film, and uh, we filmed for three months. We filmed in Las Vegas, all around Los Angeles, Santa Barbara. We had 115 different locations, and in most of them it was 115 degrees because we then went into a heat wave. And I went to the set every single day, didn't miss a day. It took over my life totally. I mean, at the same time, I was finishing Lady Boss, so I would get up about 6 o'clock, work three hours on Lady Boss, mm-hmm. then rush off to the studio, then stagger home, and then it was like, it was my life. I had to give up my clever research. It's quite ironic, really, that you, know, you should now be a 
producer as well because you've been writing about these people for so long. I know. Yeah, and you sort of I know. I had them drag a big casting couch into my office. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> I, I do sort of think, hang on a second, I'm now becoming these people I've been writing about. No, because the people I write about are, are the sort of sleazebags of Hollywood. I mean, because they're fascinating to write about and, and there are there are quite a few of them. I'm sure you've met some of them while you're here. And they're, they're there for two, three years, and they're at the top, and they're huge superstars, and then they vanish, and nobody ever hears from them again. But really, it's a very hard-working town, and there's a lot of fantastic producers and writers and, and actors who just get on and do their job. In television, you have to be very dedicated because it's such a rough road. I mean, it's such hard work. But, I mean, are you saying that they're not larger than life? Because that's what happens. No, I'm saying that, I don't know, there's several real-life books on Hollywood out at the moment, and if you read those, you'd go, Jackie Collins couldn't write this. In fact, last night when I was sitting at the table, I was sitting next to Roger Moore, who's been a friend for many years, and we were always joking about things, and he's kept on nudging me all night, going, couldn't write about that, could you? They'd never believe you, would they? And it's true, because the things that you see that go on here are really... I mean, if I wrote them, people would say, you've gone too far this time. Mm. You've just got to read any of the real-life books. Read the Sinatra book that Kitty Kelly wrote, which apparently is very accurate. And, and you'd go, oh, God, you know. Because life is full of coincidences, too. And life is much stranger than fiction, much stranger than fiction. So when you have a character and they bump into another character two years later and the critics all go, oh, yeah, very convenient. Mm. I mean, stranger things are happening in life all the time. Every time you write something, people seem to say you're blowing the lid off things. I mean, do, do you really feel that you're doing that? Well, in a way, that started with Hollywood Wives, because I used to come here every year. In fact, I lived here when I was a teenager. And so I wasn't really very friendly with the women, the Hollywood Wives. But I had an outsider's eye, like you've got an outsider's eye on this town because you've been here for a couple of weeks and you've looked around and you've, I'm sure, formed an impression. So now I would see these women, and they all had the same facelift, the same handbag, the same shoes, the same, you know, designer dresses, and it's like a little club, you know? So I thought, well, I'm going to write about these women. And Hollywood Wise was born. And because I wasn't living here when I started to write it, and I hadn't been living here that long when it came out, I mean, I, I've lived here for nine years now and, and literally know most people in town, but then I didn't. And so they said, who the hell is this woman that's come in and blowing the lid off our lifestyles? Because nobody had written about the wives before. It all concentrated on the mogul with the cigar and the starlets. Do you find people drawing back from you then when they talk to you? Well, until they get to know me. I mean, they trust me. They, but I have, I've seen certain actors that I don't know. Should they trust you? I mean, should yeah, they should trust me because if I like them, I won't write about them. But if I don't, I will. Oh, really? So you only write about people you don't like? No, it's, I don't write about the people I like. I mean, I, I create, I mean, it's imagination. It's, mm. it's uh, uh, a lot of people that I will take little pieces of and create a character. But I, I like, I mean, actually, I like all my characters. So there's only a few that I don't like that I'll put in, I think, right. I'm just going to have, you know, a little teeny character here that is somebody who exists who's been really mean to somebody or done something awful, and then I can get my revenge on them in the book. Mm. Do you find that people find you quite frightening or think that you're going to be quite frightening? Some people do. And it always surprises me. Why did you think that? that um, I think there is an image that people have of you that is quite awesome in a way, that they expect you to be this quite dragon lady. overpowering, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think so. But, I mean, do you, do you find that people approach Some, you with, with reticence? Well, usually it's the reporters that do. <laughs> and they usually tell me that. They say, oh, you know, I said to the guys at the office, I was coming to see Jackie, and I said, oh, God, you better look out for your life, you know, that kind of thing. Well, everybody spoke so highly. They said how good laugh you were and great fun, I thought. He just thought, no way. She's going to be a, you know. Well, I think sometimes 
I suppose because of the books I write. And I write very hard-edged books. I mean, they're very. I think they're very funny, intentionally so. They're they're funny and they're cynical and they're, but they're hard-edged. And so people expect me to be like my books. Well, if I was like my books, I could never write them because writing is really ob observing what you see around you and then putting it into the characters. And that's the kind of books I love to write. A lot of writers, certainly with their first novel, are supposed to write quite a bit autobiographical stuff. Yeah. I mean, do you find little bits of you appear in characters all the way through your books? And I don't up? think so. You know, I think those are the people that can only write one or two books and then they're through mm. because they're writing their life. So whatever happens to them appears in the next novel. And I could name several very famous novelists who kind of do that, and, and I've never done that. Although there's a lot of me in Lucky because a lot of my thoughts go into Lucky. You know, she, she's a woman who thinks along the same lines. She's nothing like me, and she has a completely different life, but she has some of my thoughts. She loves soul music, and she likes reading Mario Puzo, and she is very adamant that women are treated incredibly badly and that women have got to be stronger and stand up for themselves. You write about a lot of powerful people. Are interested in ownership and power? I, and I am else. interested in power. I find it fascinating. Is, is there a, a sort of envy in there that you're writing about people you wish you were? In well, no, because... Because you've now become this hotshot producer, of course. Yes, of course. You're so I can't... I don't... I don't it's production. interesting because, yeah, when, when I'm involved in doing a deal, I always say to my agent, well, if it's not the deal that I want, and I say it nicely, I say if it's not the deal that I want, I'm quite happy to walk away. And that's unheard of in Hollywood. And he goes, what? I said, you know, another deal will come along, something else will happen, but I'll, you know, if, if they don't want to give me what I want, I'll just walk away, you know, nicely. And, and they just don't understand that here. No, I, I don't envy anybody. I like, I like my life. I think I, I'm very lucky because I have, I can sort of be public if I want to, and I have a well-known name, but I'm not that well-known a face. Not really, no. I mean, I, I go to the supermarket and wander around the stores, and people, there's always the book between me and them. It's not like being an actress. I mean, I watched, you know, Madonna and, and Michael Jackson last night, and, and we were in a room full of stars, and the stars are gaping at them and staring at them, and, you know, people who know everybody. And I thought, God, that must be really tough. Do you ever wish you were anyone else? Do you, would you like to be recognized? Would you like to be a, a great film star? Oh, I would absolutely loathe it. I would hate it so much, I think, especially when you live in this town and you see what happens to actors and actresses. I've always wanted to be this side of the camera, the, cam the side that I am now. In fact, I'm going to be doing a series in which I'm going to start directing too. The deal is that I can direct two of a series of 14 shows. So I'm interested in that. And I, I've been offered to be the other side of the camera. You know, they sort of, there was a dreadful film called Beverly Hills something with Shelley Long, with Stephanie Beecham. No, no, not that one. I, I'm trying to think. But Troop Beverly Hills. But I think they changed the title yeah. in England. And they offered me the role, of the, the role that Stephanie Beecham ultimately played. And I said no. And they were shocked. They said, well, surely that's you know, what you would love to do. And I said, no, it's absolutely not what I would like to do. Because I was an actress for five minutes when I was a teenager. And to me, I was an out-of-work writer getting great research. So, no, I wouldn't like to do that. The, the writing started when you were here, didn't it? Yes. Apparently you were at school and you used to write about your classmates or something. Oh, yes, I would make fantasies up yeah. about everybody, and the teachers especially. Mm. You know, we would have this uh, male teacher that came in to teach uh, a gym, mm. and so he became like the fantasy male in my books. But it was fun. I, I wanted to make people laugh, and I wanted them to have a good time, and, and perhaps shock them a little. But I haven't intended to go on shocking people for all this time, because I've been writing for 21 years now, and I've, I've sold something like 130 million books worldwide, because I'm published all across the world. And it's, it's very exciting. I mean, it's, it's great to have achieved that kind of success.
it's a much to me a much more exciting success than to have been you know on, on television or on the movies or you know having to be I mean I watched last night one of the actresses that came in was one of the um, nominees for best supporting and she'd lost and and she tried to put on a good face but you could see the heartbreak behind it I mean really heartbreak because it was it was sad she tried so very hard and so very publicly talking of your success you've, you've only written 13 books I mean yet you've sold 120 million copies mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you see I've been writing for 21 years yeah. and not one of my books has ever been out of print so when you consider yeah. each year each book is selling and selling and selling and selling so it's kind of um there's an interesting story about China well, I was banned in China, yes. I got this letter the other day from this translator, and he said, oh, I was thrown out of the country, and my wife and child are still there, and I'm at the University of Texas, and I was one of your translators, and I want to tell you, Miss Collins, that we printed a million copies of Lovers and Gamblers, and that the Chinese people were lined up as though they were waiting for bread in Moscow outside the shops, and the books vanished, and then the police came to seize them, and when they came to seize them, they were practically all gone. They couldn't find anything to seize. So it was, in a way, I don't get any money out of that. I mean... They pirated because they didn't have a copyright law in China. They're just getting it now. But it was quite interesting to me that they would be so uh, desperate, probably, for Western fiction. And I mean, you, you know, you're probably thinking to your, well, I'm not going to tell you what you're thinking, but you're probably thinking, oh, well, shouldn't they be reading, you know, something really serious? But I'm the person that gets people into the bookstores. A lot of people read me who've never read a book. What do you think is. Uh to your writing. What is it about your books which make No, if I, if I knew that, I mean, that's interesting you should say that because it's, um, it's sort of because I just do what I want. I mean, I was thrown out of school at 15. I have no idea about how you're supposed to go about being a writer. I mean, I didn't have any idea when I started to write. I just wrote story. So I think I'm a very good storyteller and my construction is very good because it's natural. I don't think about it. I don't, I don't say, oh, I'm going to have this scene here and this scene there. It just, I write the book as you, as you see it. And, and, uh, Do you not think they're everybody's fantasy then? That everyone would like to be living in this ostentatious lifestyle? And, uh... Well, you see, I think I write about both sides. I think I write about the people, the rich and the famous, but really what I love writing about is the people who don't have anything, because that takes me back. I did, I mean, I had plenty, but I, uh, when I first came here, when I was 15, I didn't, I mean, I mixed with all the people who weren't the rich and the famous and who were living in those apartment houses and trying to make the rent every week and, you know, pumping gas, parking cars, uh, mm -hmm. taking a job as a waitress and doing all of that. To me, it's very interesting, the two sides of Hollywood, people that can make it in, in two months, they can be nobody mm -hmm. two months later. I mean, look at Mariah Carey, for instance. Mm -hmm. A year ago, you wouldn't have heard of her. Now she's this major superstar. Mm -hmm. and, and I love, that's what I love to write about. That's my kind of thing, mm -hmm. is to take somebody who's nothing and then build them up. To what extent would you say the lifestyle which you write about is, is, does actually happen? Oh, uh, I would say 100%. And how much do you participate in it? How much I participate quite a lot. I, I really do because, I, I mean, I guess I would really like to sit in bed and watch the Oscars, you know, on television. <laughs> yes, right, is that what you did? With a great big hamburger and a milkshake and go, oh, look, doesn't she look great? Doesn't he look terrible? Mm. But then I say to myself, I can't do that because I really should be out and, and sitting next to, you know, the, the, the people who make this happen because it's so exciting. And, and one of these days I can sit in bed and watch it and it's sort of like research. It's sort of like... Yeah, yeah there should be the interesting aspect. I mean, do you feel obliged to attend all these parties? Yeah, I do, because really. Because of who you are? Because of the not, not because of who I am, because I, I always think it's incredible research. And I think I have enough research to write, you know, mm -hmm. God knows how many books. But I've been doing it for, for a long time and, and yet I still feel that I want to 
keep on and I enjoy it. I enjoy people tremendously. And you know, if you can talk to Joe Bloggs and find out about his life, isn't it more interesting to talk to Sean Connery and find out about his? Mm. But your work is a twenty four hour thing and every day. Well no, because I mean like, you know, I No. But some I mean when I'm writing I'm just home. That's why I think I love producing so much because it, it was more of a creative feeling to be with other people. As I said before, collaborative. Sure. I, I enjoyed that. So do you do you write at home all the time? Oh yeah. This is where you write. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I write up in my study with right. the music blaring away, creating characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you say sort of nine to five I will write or do you, whenever you're inspired? It's very tough. I mean, you're a writer and you know that. I, the worst thing is getting to your desk in the morning. You say, you know, should I take a walk with the dog or maybe I should run down to the market or maybe I should do this. So when I finally get to my desk, which is usually about nine o'clock, then I'll, I'll write on and off all day. Do you have to force yourself? I have to force myself to get to the desk. Once I'm there, then I don't stop. Because you know that once you're at that desk, you can't take a phone call, you can't go out, you can't go to lunch, you can't do anything. It's like, a, it's a wonderful trap though, because once you start to do it, then you love doing it. I love doing it so much that then I'll just write probably till six or seven, then I don't want to stop. But I'll do it for months on end, because my books take me about a, a year to write. But at six or seven, do you say, that's the end of the day, I'm now... I just get really tired. Yes. I get physically exhausted right. from it. it. It's just the most draining, because you're becoming all these other characters all day. So at the end of the day, you say, oh God, I've had this, and, and you're just too tired to go on. Give me some um, idea about your, your day. What happens before the nine o'clock period? Are you sort of having a breakfast, getting up early and having breakfast and going for walks and things? Or I, I usually on the phone. I get up at about seven and then I call, will call London, mm. or London will call me. Business calls or my daughter in London mm. or my brother. And then, not every day, but you know, this sort of a vague, vague schedule, yeah. And then I'll call New, do the New York calls before they all go out to lunch, which mm. is usually business and then um, answer any calls I've got to answer and then I'll start work. And lunchtime, do you take it home or do you just take a sandwich upstairs? And I just take a sandwich upstairs, unless I'm going out to lunch. Do you think Collins eats sandwiches? Oh, <laughs> yes. Actually, I don't eat sandwiches. I eat um, sardines. And then in the evening, what would you do? How often are you out? We probably go out about five nights a week, yeah. That's quite It is. It's much too much and I try to cut it down, but there's yeah. always something happening. Do you have particular days when you say, right, we don't go out on Wednesdays, or...? or yeah, the, but you know, then, then because you live here, and, and you, you've got a lot of friends in Europe, and they, they're always coming in, and you can't say, oh, I'm sorry, it's Wednesday night, I'm not coming out tonight, and they go, oh, I've only got one night in town. So I find that, you know, as much as you try to stay in, it's, it's, but it's fun, I'm not complaining about it, I love it. I love going to parties, and I love meeting really exciting, interesting people, and I love meeting people that I grew up watching on the screen. It's fascinating, you know. So when you're out, you're normally at a party, are you? Uh, dinner, somebody's house right. or a party, or a screening if it's a friend. Unless it's something I really want to see, because otherwise you literally would have three things to go to a night. Now your house is absolutely stacked full of photographs of the rich and famous. I mean, those are your friends, yes? And yeah, I hate to admit it, but it's true. <laughs> what a tough one. <laughs> I know. That's but I don't. I mean, it's it, you know, it, it, and you hate to name drop. Mm. So you can't. Name no, I'm not going to name drop. I'm not. I'm not name dropping. But uh, I mean, a lot of the pictures of Michael Caine. Uh, well, Michael and Shakira. Shakira is is one of my very very closest friends. Mm. Michael, I've known since before. You know, he's his huge success. Mm. I mean, there's a whole group of us that really go back a long time, and it's Michael, and it's Sean Connery, and it's Dudley Moore. And Roger Moore. It's interesting that because they're all British. Yes, and we've all gone. We, I mean, we've all known each other for over twenty years, and so 
I would consider them amongst my closest friends, yeah. So um, would you say there's sort of a British contingent out yeah, stick together? Yeah, because they don't all live here, you see, so they're always coming in and out. They've never changed, and I hope that I've never changed, and we've all just remained very close friends. Do you, uh, do you have an American passport or a British one? English. Uh, oh, yeah, right. English. I'm just a resident here. Mm. May, I don't know, you know, you, I write about Americans, and mm. when I start writing about England, I'll come back. <laughs> And do this outrageous book about the royal family. <laughs> yeah, when I get bored. I mean, I woke up one day in London and said, that's it, we're going to America, off we go. Because my husband's American yes. anyway, so he didn't object. And that's after years of coming backwards and forwards. Mm. What would you say you missed about England? Marks and Spencers, Harrods. I mean, I, mi I miss the stores. I miss mm. the newspapers. I love the English papers. Sometimes I'll go and get the English papers because you'll find out more in the English papers than you will here. It's more fiction than you right? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And um, I miss the weather. Mm. I mean, I love today. Today to me is fantastic because we've got, you know, mostly it's boiling hot sunshine. Yeah, and I miss the people. I miss the humour, the English humour, a lot. I, I just love the English humour. Tell you the latest jokes later. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you go back to England? About once a year. Right. Do you still have a bolt hole there? No, no. I did, and, and I, one, one year I found myself cleaning the walls with a scrubbing brush, having shortly just got off Concord. So I thought, this is it, you know, because, you know, you say to the daily, can you come in and clean? She goes, oh, yes. And then, of course, they rush in for about five minutes the moment you're arriving. So I thought, it's silly. I, I don't spend enough time here. Was that a big wrench, actually? It was a wrench, and I'd like to buy something there again. I really would. It's interesting because your accent, with all respect, has got very strange now. It sort of uh, dropped halfway through the Atlantic. I've always had this accent, even before I moved to America, because of living here when I was 15. And then when I was an actress for five minutes, they would always say to me, now, you know, we've got to sell this in America, so I put in a mid-Atlantic accent. But everybody around me thinks I'm very English. They used to tease me on the set because I had a driver, and I'd go, Mark, and all the cast would go, Mark, Mark! And then I listened to my tape the other day, which I said, and I sound very English on it. Did but you, probably I sound English to Americans and strange to English. Yes, but that's it. Yes, you can't I've got this strange way. accent, eh? After. I mean, your house is sort of a cross between American English, like your accent in a way. I mean, do you, do you find that you tend to go for an English type of things around you? Oh, yes. I mean, a lot of the stuff in this house is English. I mean, I just, mm. I, I love to go to, that's what I miss also, Bermondsey and the antique markets and going into the country and, and picking things up at auction. I'm a collector of things. I mean, this, this house is just a, a bunch of things all mixed up because it's things that I like but it's the way I like to live. So many people here live in the very perfect house, you know, with a perfect Picasso here and a perfect Chagall here, and that's not my style at all. My husband has an art gallery, and I, I go in and I, I'm his best customer. I go, I must have that and that and that. I love paintings, but, but things that I like to look at. And a particular artist, I've seen you've got a few Meryl Cook. Yes, I so love her. She's yeah. just great. That's very English. Isn't yes, very yeah. English. Yeah. I've got, I think I sent something to be reframed, but I've got her Harrods. That's one of the first things I did was was buy original barrel cooks because I think she's, I think she's sort of, she's not David Hockney but she is if you know what I mean. She's going to be the next eventually, David Hockney. What uh, what don't you miss about England? The class system. I always hated that in England. I always hated the fact that somebody with a Cockney accent and and somebody with a terribly upper class accent could never be on the same level, and that kind of upset me. I would see it so much, you know that sort of the Hooray Henrys and the, the sort of Cockney people. I mean, I, there just seemed to be no... I guess it works, but... I thought that would be good material for you, that uh, 
Yeah, if I was going to write about England, it would. Mm. I like the fact that in America you can do anything, and in England there's limitations. How sold on America are you now? I, I find it a fascinating country. Because it's so I big. Mean, yeah, because endless. it's so big. There's so much to do. I like also writing about mid-America. Nobody ever remembers that I do that, but I do. In, in Hollywood Wives, everybody remembers the glitz and the glamour and the Hollywood Wives and the rich people with everything, but it, it was actually a story about a serial killer who tracks his way across America from Philadelphia and goes through all the little towns. And, and um, in, in Hollywood Husbands, I had the same kind of thing, somebody who came from a little town. I like writing about little towns in America, so sometimes I'll just take off and, if I'm going to write about a place, spend a week in a motel and check it out. And, and I, like, I just like that combination. I think that's one of the things that works about my books. Now, being English in America, are there things about America which you think just don't like this? Or, I mean, oh, yes. Well, no, there's lots of things I don't like. I don't like the crime. I, I hate the fact that the education system is not particularly good and also that there's, you know, a, a black-white problem and that the black kids don't get as good an education as white kids and that they, you know, this thing with the police at the moment is just... Uh, I hate anything racist, um, which I, I feel is more to the forefront here than it is in England, although they say that England follows what happens here. I don't know, there's, there's not a lot that I don't like, I, I don't, you know. But to me it's not that different, I mean, when you think about entertainment, the English basically like American entertainment, and the Americans, as is proved by yesterday's winner, Jeremy Irons again, the second Englishman in a row, loves what English people do. I think we're very compatible countries, you know, with the, with the recent war, everybody fighting side by side, and really, I don't know, I, I feel that we're, we're definitely sister countries. Does it help to be married to an American? I don't think it makes any difference. You certainly don't get an automatic green card just because you're married to an American, which I find quite surprising. But I just mean just general living and just understanding. The no, because he's very English. Mm. Although he's American, he lived in England for 16 years. Mm. So, How much do you actually get to see of him? I mean, are you sort of here working during the day and he's in his art gallery? No, I mean, he, we, we, we're so always together. Well? Yeah, he's based here. I mean, right. he, he spends a few hours a day in the art gallery and I'm working. So, and basically when we're, when we're out, we're always together. So it's nice to have that. I mean, we've been married a long time now. You have, which is, yeah. of course goes against the grain over here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> do people wonder how? Uh, do you sort of get surprised looks that you do married so long? Because over here it's such a rare thing. It's so funny. We were at a dinner party the other night, and, and uh, shall I name drop? Okay. Oh. <laughs> Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold, Helen Gurley Brown and David Brown, and Teresa Russell and Nick Rogue, which was really a, a strange group. And, and the hostess said, well... She said, this is such a nice dinner party tonight because everybody here is happily married. And it was true. Yeah. And it's not often that you go to a, an event where everybody is happily married. What? And Roseanne Barr was absolutely charming. Really, I liked her a lot. And him. To what do you attribute your long happiness with Oscar? We're very compatible. We like the same things. We have the same sense of values, which I think we gave our kids. Yeah. You know, we like discovering new artists. We like going around the antique markets. We like the same movies, and we're not we're not on top of each other all the time. You know, he he will, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. He will watch his baseball. He loves baseball and all of that. I I will never watch a spectator sport. Either like to do it or I'm not going to watch it. And so and I'll be upstairs making tapes with soul music and stuff. And so we're not in each other's pockets. And I think that's you have to give each other, to use an American term, space because you, I mean, marriage is very tough. And I think uh, you have to sort of balance it out. Do you think it's tougher out here? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, out here, if you're an actress, forget about it. Because if you're an actress or an actor, you are exposed constantly to other extremely attractive, charming people. It's a well-known fact that if a, anybody goes on location for longer than three weeks without the spouse, they're into an affair, however much in love they are. Do you go everywhere with Oscar? Oh, yes. <laughs> you came to Las Vegas when we were on location. I, you know, we enjoy each other's company. Oh, it would be much too tempting to, to, to not do that. Really? Oh, yes. I'm sure he must feel the same way. I, I mean, I think marriage is togetherness. I don't think it's being apart. Now, the two of you have got two children. Mm. You've got a daughter from your first marriage, mm. haven't you? Tell me about your, your three daughters and, and um, what they're up to. Well, you met Tiffany. She's uh, designing T-shirts now. She's at design school. Rory's, uh -huh. yeah. And Rory's at film school. In fact, she worked on my miniseries. She was the uh, personal assistant to the director. Right. So she got a real education on that. And uh, Tracy's in London. She's doing makeup and getting married. So the two of them are sort of flirting with the, the show business? Mm. Well, no, not really. They are the side of the camera, no. But I mean, still the business, isn't it? I mean, do you encourage them into the business or, are you, or what? I mean, I've encouraged them to do whatever they want to do. Mm. I think girls should really... That's what I uh, dedicated in Lady Boss, the book, to, to the three of them. And I said, girls can do anything, which is what I've always taught them since they were babies. I'm very strong ab about the fact that women have to seize their own lives and not sit around drooling over a hot phone waiting for some guy to call them. So I've taught my daughters that. How much time do you spend with your daughters? How much time do you well, two of them still live at home, mm. Rory Tiffany. So we spend a lot of time together. Do you think it's a good thing uh, well, when I say we spend a lot of time together, they have their, their own separate lives. They've both moved out and moved back and moved out and moved back. It's just we have the kind of household where they can come and go as they please. Just whilst you mentioned it, you mentioned dedications in books. In Hollywood Wives, I think, you've got a, a dedication to... Was it, or, or do you mean divorced women? Was it to, to the wives who told me... Oh, yeah, to the wives who told me everything and the husbands who tried to tell me nothing at all but did not succeed? I, don't know what. I think it was somebody... Oh, Kimberly. Was that Kimberly? Oh, that was in Lucky. Right. She was killed by a drunken driver, and she was a great reader of, of mine. I mean, she always, and she had her, my, one of my books in her purse. Mm. And I just did, because I thought, you know, her, her mother kept on calling me and telling me about her and everything, and I thought it would be something that, you know, Kimberly, you were not forgotten. Because this town is, uh, you know, renowned for sort of people having problems with drugs and drinks or whatever. Is that something which you feel very strongly about? I do feel strongly about it. It's become very fashionable that people would say, oh, I was in, you know, uh, rehab, isn't that great? And, and um, it's not so great that they had to be in rehab in the first place. I mean, you know, drugs are so... That, that's another thing I regret about America, but it's not so terrific in England either. I mean, it's, it's so sad that so many people are dependent on drugs. That's another thing. I think I'm a bit moralistic in my books too. I mean, I have people doing drugs, and then they always come to a bad end or they reform. So it's sort of a little moral dig, you know, if you're going to do this or if a husband screws around and his wife, he's going to get caught and thrown out. Mm. Now you seem to be uh, very strong and in command of yourself and mm. uh, unlikely ever to sort of fall victim to any of the vices of Hollywood and everything else. Is that how you see yourself? Oh, it's yeah. Above all that? No, it's not being above all that. It's being strong enough not to be tempted into all that. I don't have a, um, an insecure sense of self and I think that the people who are tempted into becoming alcoholics or getting into drugs or becoming you know sex maniacs or whatever have a very insecure sense of themselves. 
So um, they're lured. Had you become an actress? I know you say for five minutes you were. Well, I became an actress because I was thrown out of school and my parents said, oh, yes, your sister is a movie star in Hollywood. You're, you know, not bad looking. You can be one, too. So it was sort of, right, okay, if, if this is a way to get away from home, yeah, I'll do it. Goodbye. Do you think, had you become an actress, that, that you wouldn't have been quite so secure and everything else? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I was sort of older than my years. I was always, I mean, I knew when I was doing this acting stuff that, that I was going to be a writer. I didn't quite know how because... My parents didn't encourage me. They said, oh, you can't be a writer. You know, I wanted to be a journalist. And they said, you, you, you've been thrown out of school. You were bottom in everything. But I was top in composition. And so I knew that I would be a writer, but I didn't know how I would accomplish this. And I wanted to make some money, and I wanted to gain great research, because you can't be a writer unless you know about life. So I thought, this is pretty good. I know I want to write about the movie business, so I may as well, you know, go on these interviews and see all these guys and, and uh, see what they're all about. It's interesting because you seem to have the lifestyle of a film star, and yet you have the, the nice anonymity, as it were. Which is what I enjoy. I really enjoy that. But this house we're in now is very much, it seems to be the movie star type of house. Would you not agree? Well, no. To me, this is like a writer's house because, I mean, I, I suppose I've spent too much time in the last seven or eight years going into these perfect homes. I mean, I don't know how many homes you've visited here, but they're like pristine. Yeah. And so I like this house because it's like, you know, comfortable. Is it a house with a story to it? Oh yes, of course. Every house in, in Los Angeles, unless you build it yourself, has a story. So tell me the story. The story, this was built by uh, Harold Hecht of Hecht Hill in Lancaster when he was doing a movie called Separate Tables. And he built this house and then I, I don't know what happened to him, but then it was in the 60s owned by Carol Baker, the famed star of Baby Doll. And I know all this because I found the papers one day when, after we'd bought the house, I found sort of papers from both of their sets of lives and then a family owned it for about 10 years and then it was empty and I still get fans coming to the door asking for Carol Baker like I think she must have lived here 20 years ago oh it must be 20 or longer 25 years ago have you changed the decor quite a bit is this very much the um, style I guess so I like everything white yeah it was sort of dark when we took this house and we brightened it a lot you've got the, the, if I may say so the standard Beverly Hills swimming pool Oh yes, but you know, if you live in a country, if you live in a, a city that's that's in the 90s mm. most of the year, you'd be crazy not to. Do you use it a lot then? Oh yeah, I like swimming. That's the only exercise I do. I won't go to the gym and I can't be bothered with all of that, but swimming is fun. It's interesting because a lot of the Americans out here don't bother to sunbathe and have these swimming pools but don't use them. And yet the British tend to use them. I know. When I first came here, it was a really when I first lived here permanently. I just didn't know what to do because I would get, would get up in the morning and I'd be writing and I'd think, now how soon can I go out and sunbathe? Because you know what it's like if you live in England. Mm. And I thought, all right, fine, I'll write for an hour, then I'll write outside. And my life would revolve around trying to get up by the pool to sunbathe. And I did that for about two years. And then one morning you wake up and you're bored with it. You go, wait a minute, the sun's going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there at the weekend. I don't have to do this anymore. Can you write anywhere? Can you write, you know? Yeah, because I write in longhand. So as long as I've got, you know, the, the pad and the... And the pencil, not pencil, pen. I like felt pens. But I can go anywhere. I can write on planes. And uh, when my kids were little and I used to take them to school in London, they used to go to school in Sloan Square and we lived in St. John's Wood. I would be, you know, in the middle of writing a book and then I'd have to leave home to meet them. So I'd have to drive across London and I'd be driving across London writing. At every stoplight I'd be scribbling away. Is that what happens at the parties? Do you sort of nip into a corner? Oh yeah, I nip into the ladies. and go, really? Oh yes. In, in Hollywood Wives there's certain sequences at the beginning of the big party scene 
that were just these funny comments, and, and they were all comments that I wrote down at Hollywood parties. They sort of have nothing to do with the action in the book, but they're sort of setting up each little bit of the party scene. Mm. People must be very surprised that you write everything in longhand. I mean, that is, is such an well, unusual thing these days. Do you, not want to, do you not want to move into the computer age? No, no. I, I'm waiting for the computer you can talk into, and then I can talk into it, because right. right now I have to depend on somebody to come and put it on the computer, because I love to have it on the computer so that I, when I get the pages, I can make eight million changes without the page having to be retyped. But, I mean, you, you write everything, so you don't have a secretary to dictate to it? No, no. Why is this? I mean, you, you don't, do you have a cleaner for your house? Yeah, somebody comes in three times a week. Yes. <laughs> I'm famous. People think I'm very eccentric because they go, what? You know, these women that don't do anything have two secretaries and, you know, three servants. But I, you know, especially when you've got kids and you live here, and this is sort of, it's, it is, I don't know how I would describe it, but it's, it's larger than life in a way just to be in Beverly Hills. It's not your average lifestyle. So when we moved here, I made a sort of mental note that we were going to stay exactly as we are. We weren't going to change our lifestyle. And it suits me. I like making a cup of tea and I like answering my own door. And when I have people over, I like cooking the meal. But it's not, if, if you're successful in this town, that's not a usual way to behave. So you felt that bringing sort of staff in would, would spoil the, the family? I hate, I hate, I hate yeah. to live my life like that. How often do you throw parties here? Because it's a fabulous house for a party. It's a great house for a party, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not that often. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I guess I, about once a year, have yeah. a big old bash. I bet there's a few recognisable faces. Oh, uh, just a few. Yeah, <laughs> you've probably seen a few of the pictures. So who, who, would, who might come round if you had a party? Well, my American friends. Uh, I'm very friendly with the dancers, Tony Dancer, who's great. And you see, that's what I like about living here. I mean, I watch Taxi like everybody else in England and thought. What a fabulous program and everything. And then you meet people and you become real good friends with them. Do you have famous neighbours? Richard Benjamin down the street. Diana Ross used to live across the street. And, um, yeah, there's quite a few. But that's sort of normal life in Beverly Hills. Yes, because seeing stars in London, of course, is quite a novelty. But yes. But in Beverly Hills, you see them every day. Yes, I mean, you go to Thrifty and you bump into, uh, well, whoever. Do a lot of people stop you on the street? Uh, quite a few. Which is it's quite nice. I mean, what sort of things do they say? They say I love the book, or I love the character of Lucky, or when are you going to do another Hollywood book? But there's always that book between us, and they're always very nice because it, it's not like it's me; it's like it's the book they want to talk about. Is that a different reaction to you, what you get in England, for instance? I mean, how would your fans, as it were, approach you? In, in the same, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I find now. I mean, the the world becomes awfully small because. If you're anonymous and you can sort of go anywhere you want, but in a way I'm anonymous, in another way I'll find myself going to Harrods and I'll know half the salespeople in there will now know me. And I only go in there once a year. So oh, we've come in for those chocolate-covered orange sticks again. <laughs> Talking of that, I mean, what, what are your vices as far as... Chocolate-covered orange sticks. <laughs> and you, you've got to try them. The ones at Harrods are just sensational. I'm just trying to get out chocolate. Oh, I know. I'm a chocoholic. Yeah. That's my vice, chocolate. Do you worry about you? No, no. Well, to the, to a normal degree, mm -hmm. but I've never. I I don't like. You know, I'm not manic about it. But you don't work out. I mean, how on earth do you keep? Sleeping? I swim. Yeah, not throughout the year, surely. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not like this often. I, I promise you. You've had a really bad two weeks, oh, yeah, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, you have. I know. It's such a shame. I feel so bad when people visit and this happens. 
it's usually, you know, glorious sunshine. And uh, this is very unusual, but everybody's thrilled because there's been such a drought. So how many lengths would you do a day then? Well, probably not a lot, mm. 20, something like that. Mm. Do you find that quite therapeutic and good for the... Yeah, because I like to think. It's a good time to think. So you think all the time? Are you one of those people that never yeah. stops? Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, I could call myself a workaholic, but I love what I do so much that it's really a pleasure to knock myself out doing it. Because, I mean, I could stop if I wanted to and not do anything else and, you know, sit you around. You said earlier that, you know, you like to go in the kitchen and make a cup of tea. Do you do all the cooking in the house or does Oscar do No, oh, he doesn't lift a finger. <laughs> but I don't want him to, you know, because, because he can't do it anyway. Right. Is he hopeless? No, he's not hopeless. He takes care of business matters. Right. It's sort of traditional in a way. I expect him to take care of, like, the television and, and the everything about business because if I had to take care of my own business I mean as I said I've got you know I'm published in about 35 different countries and when you multiply that by 13 different books it becomes like so, so enormous and if I started to have to look I mean you know the just getting contracts straight and everything so he's totally looks after all that for me that's quite an old-fashioned way around isn't it it I is mean, actually you know, you're letting the man do his exactly thing and, do you think it's your position in the kitchen then to be uh, well, I'm not in the kitchen much. I mean, if he ever says to me, what are we having for dinner? I'll say, I don't know, what are you cooking? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever forces me to do anything. I do it when I feel like doing it. When did he last cook? Oh, he doesn't cook. He just doesn't? No, cook. he just doesn't cook. I wouldn't expect him to. He'll send out. Uh, really? I mean, how, how often do you eat takeaways? <laughs> oh, I love Indian takeaway. Yeah? Yeah, so we'll do that, you know, every couple of weeks. Do you eat the sort of English dishes like roast beef? And oh, yes. Anything? Except nobody will eat meat anymore except me. Uh, yeah. I know. It's so boring. <laughs> I hate that because I love roast beef. Do you eat meat? I didn't do this. Oh, good. See, that hasn't hit England yet. Well, About five years ago in Hollywood, it used to be cocaine. People, everybody was into cocaine, and that's all they'd do at parties. Now they discuss their cholesterol levels, and I find that incredibly boring. Mm -hmm. So what might we see you knocking up in the kitchen? Um, well, I'm famed for my meatloaf hey. and uh, roast chicken, mm -hmm. roast turkey, uh, roast potatoes, all of that. Yorkshire pud. I love all that. Do you tend to go for quite Englishy things, do you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's an English shop here, and I go down there and buy baked beans and, uh, you know, Smarties. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a couple of dogs here. One, one is more of a pet, one's more of a security dog. Right. And that's Killer and Jake. Yes. Do, do you feed, I mean, I imagine Beverly Hills, people feeding their dogs sort of steak and shits, that sort of thing. I mean, oh, no, no, no. I don't feed them. They're just your regular dogs. Yeah. Oh, yes. Tell me a bit about them. Well, Jake is probably the most fantastic dog in the entire world, as most dog owners will tell you about their dogs. No, he's just a great dog. He's, 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 what can you tell, what can I tell you about a dog? He's just fun. He's quite he's, young. Yeah, he's yeah. about three. Three, and, and uh, Killer is the name of the... Yes, and he's a lovely dog too, but he is a little vicious. <laughs> Has he ever Not with anybody? me, no. No, he hasn't. No, he's never attacked anybody because I, I make sure that I keep him out of the way unless, you know, I want him drifting around. Mm. Now, in uh, Beverly Hills, we hear that um, you know, everyone has therapists, even for their dogs. I mean, do you put your dogs into therapy? No, I don't put my dogs into therapy. <laughs> so there's limits to how far you go to get involved in this lifestyle, isn't it? Oh, I don't get involved in it at all. I just write about it Yeah. and watch it. I mean, in a way, I'm an outsider who's inside. That sounds silly, I know, but I'm, yeah. I think you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So I can play the game, but really I'm watching the game. Do you worry about what you wear? I mean, you quite. You no, during sure the day I will wear, you know, I'll wear gym shoes and jeans and 
I wear a lot of black. I like black. I, I don't know. You like yeah, I, oh, I love my leopard skin. I won't give that up. I don't, you know, it comes into fashion, it goes out of fashion. I don't really care. The funniest thing was Elle magazine did a piece on me about a year ago where they said, and she's in her, you know, something like old fashioned leopard skin. They had 14 editorial pages of women in leopard skin. And I felt like writing a letter to the editor saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong here somewhere. <laughs> You're quite a hoarder. I mean, I don't I'm a definite hoarder, yes. Mm. But of something I like, you know, if I, if, I'm, if I like soul records, I want to get everything that I like, mm. keep them. Well, I like being surrounded by things that I like. What about the money aspect? I mean, it must be fabulously wealthy. I never talk about my money or my sex life. I just yeah. write about other people's. Right, no, it's, off the, it's off the record. <laughs> you collect books as well. You've you quite a broad range. Yes. You collect records as well. Yeah, I collect books. I Are love books. Are there any books. particular novelists which you go for? I love Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather. And um, I find I read The Great Gatsby once a year. To me, it's the most mysterious, exciting book, Fitzgerald. Mm. And I like very much uh, Joseph Blomberg, who's an ex-cop who writes about I like serial killer books. I love Thomas Harris. I think The Silence of the Lambs and The Red Dragon were two brilliant books. So I guess I like uh, Elmer Leonard, very funny. I like tough male fiction. I'm not into flowery, beautiful books. It's not my yeah, style. It's not me. Yeah. And I don't think everybody has to be the same. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid and I always used to love rock and roll. Yeah. I would have an uncle that would say to me, oh, you know, when you're older, you'll appreciate classical music. And I said, do you know something? I'm never going to appreciate classical music because it's not me. Yeah. I don't particularly like it. I find it depressing. Yeah. But I'm always going to love rock and roll and soul and that kind of music. When you're reading other people's books, do you often think, gosh, I wish I'd written Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, The Godfather, I can read that and just go, oh, why didn't I think of Sonny Corleone and why didn't I do that scene? Because he's just... It's all wealth and power again, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, it's fun to write about that. So do you have... Is there still the book to be written as far as you're concerned? Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a plan for a book. Uh, once I get out of this contract, I'm in. I have two more books to write for Simon & Schuster. And then I just want to take my time and, and this particular book I, I want to write, which I won't tell you about because if I do... 8,000 people will go and say, oh, yeah, I'll write that quickly. <laughs> so you've got an idea. Yes, an idea for a, a very, yeah. Because I love writing, I loved writing the stories about the Sant'Angelo family, which was Chances, Lucky, and Lady Boss. And so I want to write about, uh, you know, another family. Is there anything that you wouldn't consider writing about? I think you censor yourself. I mean, I, I have to be very careful what I say about censorship, because if I even mention it, people go, <laughs> Her talking about censorship, but you know, with with um, what was it? Uh, yeah, we Norman Mailer and myself and a whole lot John Updike and a whole lot of other writers had to sign this bill that that there would be no taking you know Penthouse and Swank and all those magazines off the stands. And some of those magazines, I think, maybe shouldn't be on public display. What about outside of writing? What, what ambitions do you have now? To direct. That's my next big hurdle. It's interesting. You seem to have just sort of gradually slipped into that. Yes. I don't. I you know. I, I never had a master plan, but if I did have one, it would it would be going along these lines. Mm. What about on a more personal front? Are there any particular hopes for the future as far as your family is concerned? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to see my daughters doing something that makes them happy. They don't necessarily have to be successful, but if it's something that makes them happy, I think that's the least you can ask for anybody. I mean, the most you can ask for anybody. Do you think you'll always live out here? I don't know. I might wake up, you know, tomorrow morning and say, let's go to India and live there for a year. 
I get very spontaneous. Yeah. yeah. What about your your dearest wish in life? Well, it's really corny. I mean, I mean, it would be for mankind to see, you know, to see a, a peace in the world that we don't see because we see so much fighting going on and so much cruelty. And when you read about this war, and you read about the 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 atrocities that went on, you you just it's it's just it blows your mind, doesn't it? I mean, you think how can this happen? And I would love to see sort of peace. That's you know a general wish. For me, I just like to go on doing what I'm doing, and having fun doing it. I'll ask you about photography. Actually, I mean, you, you've got all these pictures of parties and things. Do you take a lot of them yourself? Do you I take them all myself. I was taking them last night. I think I was the only person in the room allowed with a camera. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's really fun, and and they know they're safe. I'm not going to sell them to the Enquirer or the Star. So I take a lot of pictures and I send them to the people that I take, and I keep albums for myself. Do you go around like a paparazzi snapping? Yes, but I never snap people I don't know very well. I would never dream of that. In fact, somebody said to me last night, oh, you want to take a picture of me with Michael Jackson? I said, forget it, because uh, I don't, I mean, I've met him, but I don't know him that well, and mm. I wouldn't take, I wouldn't dream of, of doing that. Is there anyone you haven't met that you'd like to meet? That's a very good question. Andy Garcia. <laughs> I think about Andy Garcia at the moment. Yeah, Andy Garcia and uh, Alec Baldwin. Do you think Andy Garcia is one of the future characters for one of your novels, perhaps? I'd like to see him act in one of my novels, I mean, in one of the, the, the mm. screen. Um, I'm also writing a movie, which will, but I'm doing it on my own time. I'm not doing it for a studio. Right. So uh, I'll have control of it when mm. it comes out. Now, I have heard that you've been asked to present the Wogan show when he's been on holiday. Yes, we, we really started to negotiate on that. They came over here, we had meetings and everything, mm. and I think they got a bit backed up with, with Wogan and what he was doing and when his holiday was going to be and it didn't work out but it, it may happen in the future because you're always being asked to host I know so yes. far you haven't no I haven't but it, I, I did one in England once called Friday Night Saturday Morning mm. with, with uh, I think who did I have oh Bran Ferry mm. and Jean Rook and Paula Yates mm. and uh, Marie Helvin it was a fun show mm. why have you so far not done a proper series because it's not what I want to do really yeah but if you did have one chat show, who would you choose to go on if you could choose? Henry Kissinger, I think, is a very fascinating man, would be a good guest. Margaret Thatcher, because I'd like to ask her how it felt to have your hair and your appearance constantly criticised. And probably Reagan, because there's much more to the man, I think, than actually, although we're going to find out everything there is to the man when we read Kitty Kelly's book on Nancy Reagan. Mm.